Today's program is proudly brought to you by Whole Foods Market. Visit WholeFoodsMarket.com or download the Whole Foods Market app to learn more and find the store nearest to you. I'm HRN's Communications Director, Kat Johnson, with a preview of this week's episode of Meat and 3, our weekly food news roundup. We decided it's high time we do an episode about Mary Jane. Marijuana, things are happening. That's right. This episode is about pot. We're exploring the rhetoric surrounding legalization in New York's recent gubernatorial primaries. And a cheesemonger turned cannabis consultant shares the tricks of the trade. Great. So do you want to conquer the world? Do you want to have hazy eyes? Do you want to, you know, just relax all day and be floaty? And we find out how one exemplary South Carolina farmer is trying his hand at a new crop. Every plant that comes up from seed is different. And so it's it's learning how the plant grows, how it responds, and then familiarizing myself and my senses with this plant. Plus, Hannah Forden and I taste test the hottest new cocktail ingredient, CBD. So subscribe to Meat and 3 wherever you listen to podcasts and be the first to know when the newest episode of Meat and 3 drops. Welcome to Food Without Borders on Heritage Radio Network, a show about food, politics, and identity. I'm your host tonight, Leah Kurtz, and we have in the studio with us Serbi Sahani um, of Sar Indian Bistro, and she's also been a uh, chef in New York City for over 18 years um, and been working in the culinary field for over 25 years. Um, Servi, thank you so much for coming. Thank you for inviting me. Yeah, welcome. Um, so we're just going to get right into it. Um, okay. What is one of your, um, you know, first maybe like food memories? What got you interested in devoting your life to food? I don't know. If, okay, so uh, earliest food memories in terms of eating is very different. Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the eating comes before the cooking, right? <laughs> we'll start there. Uh, I, do, I don't think my memory is going to necessarily, in terms of cooking, going to be I really liked it because I didn't like cooking. Um, I was just kind of forced into it because my mom was very sick and I just had to cook uh, to keep the family kind of going from a very young age, say like 10, 12. I was just already involved in doing household things. Um, but uh, in terms of like just kind of getting involved in the industry, so my dad is an artist in India and he paints. So my main goal always was I'm going to be an artist. I'm either going to paint or I'm going to sing or I'm going to write or it's going to be one of those hemispheres of things that I'm going to kind of end up doing. Not that I worked towards it, but that was in the dream world. That is what I was doing. Um, and then uh, my dad had an exhibition in uh, one of the hotels called Sheraton at one point. I ended up going there for this exhibition opening. And this was the first time I saw a hotel with like these beautiful glass shelves and the marble floors. And then I was just like, oh, my God, I need to be working here. <laughs> and where in India was this? This was in Delhi. Okay. And uh, so then I remember I turned to my father and said, I'm going to do hotel management and I'm going to become a chef. <laughs> and he, at what age was this realization? <laughs> 17. Okay. <laughs> so, uh, you know, I, I was still also applying for art schools. 
but it was a little too late because I started working towards my art stuff a little later in, in India competition and stuff. I got through hotel management and my father said, that's what you're going to do. <laughs> so 25 years later, I'm still cooking. Wow. And so what, what was that trajectory of like... You went to, you did your degree in India. Mm -hmm. I did my degree in India. And um, uh, at that point, I was actually seeing someone who was very anti me becoming a chef uh, because there were not that many women chefs mm -hmm. in the kitchen. Um, when I joined hotels in Delhi, I think in the entire Delhi, which is a lot of hotels, there might have been maximum 25, 30 women in the kitchens. So I was one of those uh, rare girls that was like, bravo, I'm going into it. <laughs> we'll see, not knowing what is it that I'm entering. Uh, but yeah, there was not, I'm, I was also really lucky because when I started working at the Sheraton, um, there were these two women chefs um, at, at, at the Sheraton itself um, that started a women's kitchen at that time in the year 19... 95 mm -hmm. is what I'm talking about. Um, they started a women's kitchen and uh, they were trying to find as many women that were there in the kitchen. There were not that many. So we had an all women's kitchen and an all women's restaurant in the front. The only men wow. that we had were the bartenders because the Delhi law did not allow women to serve what? alcohol. <laughs> yes, wow. because men would see women on the bar and think they're loose charactered and oh, yes. they would like come and touch them and feel like they can go home with them because then you're a loose yeah. kind of a oh, woman. Very shameful. <laughs> very alcohol so shameful. <laughs> so yeah, that was the beginning of the career. Uh, was but that's with all women chefs. That's pretty incredible though. And like at all ranks, uh, they were female chefs. All ranks, they were female chefs. We did have a few men uh, in the kitchen eventually because uh, there was a gap and there were not that many women available. But like we had a crew of, uh, with our two main chefs, we had a crew of eight girls. And did it initially happen by accident or was it always very like intentional? I think they started it as a women's kitchen and they were going around um, different universities or uh, they, they did have uh, another woman who was, well, kami, kami chef, as we call them uh, uh, in in the French kind of lineup. Mm -hmm. um, she was a kami chef and uh, she was brought upstairs. And then we had a chef, uh, chef de cuisine who was also brought upstairs. Uh, and uh, they just kind of picked up girls throughout Delhi and just brought them into this main kitchen to run the kitchen. It was a lot of fun. I, I should bet. say it was, you know, like we always say like, oh my God, women working together, very, a lot of bitchiness and a lot of fighting or whatever. It was nothing of that sort. I think like I had the most amount of fun, you know, yes, we fought a lot, but we fight even when the men are in the kitchen. So it's not any different. I just do feel like the sisterhood and the camaraderie that was kind of um, present in the kitchen and the so sort of the sense of security mm -hmm. was very different. And that was like, like your first introduction. That's my first introduction. Wow. Well, I mean, I was working and I had worked as an, as an intern or as a training throughout my bachelor's degree in different hotels. And um, I had worked throughout my hotel management career in the kitchen that was part of my school. But that's a very different experience from actually starting a job. My first job was mm -hmm. at an all-women's kitchen, yes. Mm -hmm. 
Wow. And what particular like role did you fulfill? Oh, um, I mostly pulled stores a lot. Um, so I went downstairs to the purchasing. I loaded up the trolley and I brought it upstairs and I loaded it. And then I went downstairs again and I loaded it oh my goodness. <laughs> all day long. I also did a lot of chopping. <laughs> So we were hired three months before the restaurant was open. So I did a lot of, uh, we made, so back then there was no pasta companies that were selling pasta in India as much, or it was extremely expensive. So we had a pasta machine. We would make our pastas and we dried our pastas. We made, uh, you know, uh, we made our own sun-dried tomatoes. We made our own pestos. We stored them in jars. We made, um, uh, we got jalapenos and we pickled them. We pickled everything under the sun. That was part of, we pickled beets, we pickled um, tomatoes, we pickled carrots, we pickled cauliflowers. Uh, the concept was very different because it was a continental kitchen is what we call okay. it. So it was very uh, global sort of a feel where you walk into the restaurant and you pay a flat charge and they had a huge grill where you can pick any amount of food that you want they grilled it and served it to you on the table. And then besides that, they had a little island in which they would serve international food. So they, we, would, we were serving tamales, we were doing falafel, we were doing... Like, this was my first introduction to sort of a global-style cooking. Um, I mean, I'd pretty much eaten Indian food all the time. The first time I saw Heinz bottle was in that hotel. Like, wow. I'd never even, like, I had... There was no, like... It was a very different experience for me to kind of start off on that uh, trajectory. It was a lot of fun. Wow. A lot of learning. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I bet. And then at what point did you, like, come to the U.S. or did you work in other restaurants before that? I mean, I worked at other hotels in Delhi after that. Um, But I came here uh, in the year 99 uh, to do my master's at NYU. Oh, which okay. I did in anthropology and food or like food Ooh. studies program okay. where it was mostly... I went to the food studies program too. Yay! Yay! <laughs> Go Marinessa! <laughs> wow. And so what like prompted that to, to take a kind of a more anthropological and like a, a shift in how you looked at food? So my frustration in working with India was I, like I almost always felt like I wasn't using my brain. Mm. Um, I'm not... I, you know, it was like, this is the recipe, follow it, make it. And like, you get into the rut of it. And like, you're like, just kind of going in and out of the kitchen all day long. And it's just like cooking the same things, even though we were making more global food uh, throughout my career, I've always done it. Um, But I always felt like there was more to food than just like I can cook in the kitchen. And, you know, throughout my schooling, I never used my brain. I was like, the last bencher in the class, I got the lowest grades, but like, I finally realized I had some brains. (laughs) I wanted to use them. So um, my dad and I started looking at different programs. That we were also like applied at CIA. I also applied for an MBA with Cornell University. I also applied for NYU. Um, I got through all the schools that I pretty much applied to. And then uh, when I came here um, and I went to NYU and I just started studying, I just like I felt like something in my brain just kind of opened up. And I was like, wow, there's all these things about food that I'd never thought about because back then, like, there was not even a food section in India in the newspapers. I mean, mm. that's the time period we're talking about. Yeah. And I remember the first class that I sat in, um, and I think it was Amy Bentley who was holding the session uh, uh, for the class. She was like, the most important thing is that you have to do is that you have to read the Wednesday New York Times every week. And I was like, 
what is that? <laughs> I mean, I'm coming from a different country. Yeah. I'm coming from a different yeah. culture. Yeah. And, you know, I've never written a paper in my life. I don't know how to research a library because it's a very, it's, I mean, I know how to go to a library and look for a book, right, but, but it's that a different. Kind of, yeah, that kind of approach to academia, I mean, that's totally different than like culinary training. It's like, it's a totally different way of using, yeah, like using your skills. And you're in your early 20s at this point, right? I was in my early 20s. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 24, 25. I'm just okay. still trying to figure out. And then, of course, you know, I'm going to NYU, so I have to work 80-hour days, 80-hour weeks, because I got to pay for this school. Right. My parents are not paying for this school. Wow. I'm paying for it. So I'm working, and I'm going to school full-time, and I'm, a lot of the times I was sleeping in the school and yeah. taking showers in the pool. Not in the pool, but in the showers in the pool area. <laughs> And then going back and forth. <laughs> wow. And where were you working? So I was working uh, at a place called, um, I'm legal now, so I can talk about it. Okay, okay. Because <laughs> I worked illegally. Okay. Um, but I was working at a place called Between the Bread. Okay. And um, they used to be, back in the 80s, they were like the number one catering company. And they hired me as their cookie maker. So all I do used to do was make cookies all day, pipe cookies. And then I went on to working for um, another company called Table Tales, which was also like sort of this corporate catering space um, owned by a woman mm -hmm. uh, owner. And she was very supportive of me and has stayed a friend throughout the years and just has like helped me in very different ways in terms of thinking process and stuff like that. Um, and uh, there I was doing more, more and more pastry work. And at that point, had you been able to start kind of expressing yourself through your pastry work or were you still kind of beholden to someone else saying here's this is the recipe you make it or I think like uh, Grace was her name she did give me a little bit of freedom but then you know I think it was still like American straightforward pastries you know and it's been going for a corporate world it was the same thing the first exposure really to like start or do something of my own was with Tamarind mm -hmm. restaurant which I opened um, so m I met Hemant uh, Bathur uh, and uh, Suveer was another person. We all kind of connected through NYU and I started working for Tamarin because they were looking for someone to do a tea room concept for them. So this was my first exposure into doing something creative. So mm -hmm. I created a tea room concept for them where the whole idea was to be able to sell the teas, be able to sell the chutneys that were being made in the kitchen, which they didn't do because it was a monon telling them to do it. So, of course not. It's not cool enough. <laughs> but anyways, uh, the idea was to kind of create this sort of a very retro space that was connected to Tamarind was, and also to create a branding experience beyond just like we went to dinner to Tamarind and it was good. It was something to kind of take back to mm -hmm. wherever you were going. Mm -hmm. um, and Tamarind's, of course, like an institution at this mm -hmm. point. They've been around forever. Yeah, and how old were you at that point? Like that was... How old was I? 25, 26. Okay, so that was like around, same, around, yeah, the, same around time, the same time. Around the same time. Everything like, was happening quickly. Yeah, yeah. it sounds like <laughs> it. And did like your academic work kind of, was it, were the two informing each other or? I definitely think so. And also I, de I do think that going to NYU helped because I actually started reading more and more about the food world and what the influences were. I also had this sort of a realization. So like for many years um, uh, in Growing up in India, the experience is very different, right? So uh, 
when I started working in the hotels, I never wanted to work in the Indian kitchen. That is the worst kitchen you're going to be. Like, that's the whole colonial experience of us as Indians where we don't respect where we're coming from, mm. where what our roots are. And this is also 90, 90s, right? We're, now it's a different world, but I'm talking 90s. And um, never wanted to work in an Indian kitchen. I wanted to work in a French restaurant. I wanted to go to CIA or I wanted to go to Switzerland and uh, and train under some Swiss chef and, you know, be the art de culture, mm-hmm. couture, mm-hmm. whatever the word is, uh, chef. And that was my dream. And then I came here and I started, um, you know, reading these books that were given to me or assigned to me at NYU. And I started thinking about Indian food. It was so irritating because I kept going back to it. <laughs> and, you know, when we used to do presentations of our different papers, as you know, in food studies, oh, yeah. you do the, it was so frustrating because I was like, oh, mine is a very blasé concept, but okay, here it is. And everybody used to get so excited. <laughs> and I was like, that's not really that exciting. Like, <laughs> you know, it's a different experience. So that once I did that, I realized that oh, yeah, maybe I want to cook Indian food for a change. Yeah, like maybe there's something. Like, there's something there. There's obviously something I missed there. something. <laughs> Were you one of the only like Indian students in the program yes. at the time? Okay, because I know it's like having been there, it's a very white and very female, you know, I know it's changing, but. Um, Krishnedo Ray was already there. Oh, I love Krishnedo. Oh, I know. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Shut he, up. He was already there. <laughs> okay. So I used to, like, he used to not do that many regular classes, so I used to sneak into his okay. classes. And would he kind of push you to, like, engage more with your own for food sure. ways? And for sure. For sure. appreciate that more? For like, sure. Like, actually, like, um, I had this whole one concept uh, about uh, Indian Hindu-Muslim rivalry, and I wrote this big-ass, big paper about mm-hmm. it, and... It was very intense, and I had 5,000 books that I read. Not really, but you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah. like I didn't really it read It felt five. like it. <laughs> it felt like it that I was reading through so many books. But he was very supportive, and like he really actually like helped me think about things in a way that I couldn't because I was not from academics. It was a big movement, especially when you're writing an academic mm-hmm. paper, to think about um, what is it that you're literally trying to say, mm-hmm. you know, instead of just like you know, sort of in a poetic way. You don't want to write in a poetic way, you know, and everything needs to be spelled out. And, you know, this sort of, um, uh, whatever it is, like in terms of a food movement or in terms of Indian food, like what is it that defines us as a society to kind of break it up into the cultural value of it was a learning experience because I never thought about it that way. Mm-hmm. Because that was just my life. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, it's like, it's normal, so therefore it's invisible. Yeah, and then why is this interesting kind of a thing? Mm-hmm. Like, why is why is it interesting, um, say, like, oh, like, I was a born and brought up vegetarian, and then when I started cooking in hotels, why is it interesting that when I get home, my mother sends me into a shower because mm-hmm. I've been cooking meat all day? You know, it's it's a cultural value aspect of it that, it was very frustrating because she was such a, you know, what's the word for it? When someone is very, um, sorry, uh, not suspicious. Uh, oh, like superstitious? Superstitious, yeah. yes. Okay. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Someone's very superstitious that way. Like I was totally very free-flowing child, whatever goes. And she was just the opposite. Um, but it's an interesting idea, like which I would have never thought was interesting in India. 
Oh, yeah, because that idea of, like, yeah, unclean or clean, like, you've been touching me, but you're in a vegetarian household, like, that, like, yeah, the yeah. politics of that are, like, yeah, and that's fascinating in a way that, um, translated here, that it doesn't work quite the same way. Could I, if anything, it's the opposite. Like, people are, like, if you've been eating vegetarian food, like, go bathe yourself. Like, I mean, that's changing, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. but, like, yes, uh, yes. yeah, it, 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 if anything, yeah, it goes the other way of, like, as far as the superstition and suspicion. Um, so I think, like, because I went to NYU, it further interested me into learning more about Indian food mm-hmm. instead of the other way around, mm-hmm. right? Um, and then, of course, I started cooking in Indian restaurants, and that's just, like, spearheaded my career since then. I, I basically pretty much read a lot about Indian food so and write about it. Whatever whatever comes my way, I just keep doing it. <laughs> and did it tend to be, uh, like, North Indian? Did you get really interested in other, like, regions? I mean, I don't know exactly if your family was always in, mm-hmm. in Delhi or whether, you know, like what regions make up like your personal background but did that prompt you to like really delve into it in its entirety so initially definitely I was more interested in in North Indian food I was also having more dialogue about how I ate in terms of my house like uh or like um I think no I think throughout my career I'm pretty much about I'm pretty much a chef who talks about what is it that we're eating in our homes and whether that it's from the north of India, or it's in the south of India, or it's or the west or the east, like that's the one part of it that just like really fascinates me. And like, thankfully, this time with this restaurant, I've been given a lot of freedom to kind of do the menu and do the concept and do the ideas of what I think kind of needs to be put on our plates in America. And um, a lot of the food items that I've picked here or even in the past, like for, with with um, with Tulsi, which was one of the other restaurants, mm-hmm. or Devi, that was the one of the other restaurants. When I was given the freedom to like kind of do some combinations, I was very, very much like, "This is how I cook in my house. Come and enjoy it." Um, you know, like a lot of the Indian restaurants, I feel um, do a lot of creamy dishes where there's a lot of cream in the food, or there's a lot of, you know, they're very thick and heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and my friends, when they come, like, the food is just really light. It has a lot of water in it. It's very, like, we call, in, in Bengal, it's called jhol, uh, which means water. Mm-hmm. In Hindi, it's called tari, which means also water. Like, you'll see that throughout as a tangent in in any part of the country. When you eat in someone's home, there's very little oil. It's not, depending on the household, it can be spicy or not be spicy, but for the most part, for the most part, it's really light, mm, mm-hmm. and so that's what I try to bring as an experience as a chef because I feel this is how I eat, and I think this is how you should eat it too because it's amazing just the way it is. Why do I need to change it and make it into something that's more American? Yeah, exactly. Because like, rather than cater to the taste of you know of yeah of like this culture, why not like push <laughs> them to kind of come to you, meet you where you are. Um, So we're going to take a a quick uh, commercial break and we'll be back uh, just after this. Are you experiencing ascension symptoms? I fall asleep, but I'm wide awake. I'm living color in a world of gray. Today's program is brought to you by Whole Foods Market. 
From papayas and samosas to reishi mushrooms, if it's something that sounds delicious, chances are you'll find the freshest, best version of it at Whole Foods Market. They have more than 400 stores across the country, so if you consider pizza its own food group or just can't imagine when avocado toast wasn't a thing, Whole Foods Market has you covered. Visit WholeFoodsMarket.com to find a store near you. Whole Foods Market. Whatever makes you whole. Welcome back to Food Without Borders on Heritage Radio Network. My name is Leah Kurtz, and in the studio with me is Serbi Sani from uh, Sar Indian Bistro in New York City. And we're just discussing her pathway into becoming a chef and also kind of looking differently at um, Indian cuisine and kind of exploring its meaning and translating that into to kind of a, a more Western palette. Um, wow, you made me sound so cool. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, here all night, folks. <laughs> uh, no, but really, let's like get back into that because I, I'm curious as to, um, kind of, yeah, like you are the creative director at SAR, and so I'm I'm interested in how you chose some of the dishes you said you were talking about, like the desire to, you know, really look at different regions and not what would be in a restaurant, but like what are people eating in their homes and how different that flavor profile is from what people think of in the U.S. maybe when they think of Indian food and, and how you, um, yeah, how, how you get to play with that. And, and maybe, I don't know if you want to talk about some of your favorite dishes that you like, oh my God. that really <laughs> exemplify that sure. the most, like this idea sure. of home cookery and really celebrating that. Sure. So answering the favorite dishes is very hard mm-hmm. because I do like the entire menu. That's right. why we put it together. <laughs> um, uh, but when, when I started uh, putting the menu together, I really started thinking a little bit out of the box um, in the sense I started thinking... Uh, about different communities. So, like, I started thinking about the Jewish community. I started thinking about the Parsi community. I started thinking about the Bengali community. I also started thinking about the Marwari community. I, I, I still haven't done Orissa and Assam, which is, like, my to-do list mm. in the next kind of uh, uh, changes in the menus. Uh, but I feel like these regions are sometimes, especially in the North Indian-style restaurants, which are there's a lot of them in the city, are very underrepresented and never kind of talked about. Um, so, like, for example, like, Bengali food is becoming... I'm also learning it as I'm... You know, I think like that's one of the true special experience of being an Indian chef is... Or being an Indian chef in here, in New York, is that I'm also learning as I'm kind of going, as I'm kind of um, uh, finding myself and as I'm pushing the boundaries, so I want to try this kind of food and I want to bring it to this platform. That experience for me is also really a learning experience. So I'm growing with the entire thing. So like, for example, in Bengali food, we're doing something that's called as, um, call it machar jol, which is a fish curry, Mm -hmm. uh, which is generally done with potatoes and cauliflower, uh, and I'm serving it with uh, patol bhaja, which is um, these, um, <clears throat> it's like a summer squash, but like it's a baby summer squash, no bigger than my finger. 
and um, uh, this is fried in some mustard oil and just some salt and pepper. It's as simple as that. Uh, and it's served with some plain rice. And mm. that's just the dish. Like, there's not that much of complication in terms of the, the, flav- the flavorings of the dish. Even in the fish, there's like, when I'm cooking, is there's a total of five or six spices, which is... Like when we think about Indian food, we're like, oh my God, like I cannot cook Indian because there needs to be so hundreds many. Spices. <laughs> I do have that one dish that has hundreds of spices. <laughs> Not 136, but uh, <laughs> just 36. Yeah, only. Only 36. But, uh, you know, th- that's one of the rare dishes that we have. Or we're doing uh, uh, these latkas, which are called cauliflower latkas, which is from uh, the Jewish community, which is pretty prevalent in India and is never represented or shown in any of the Indian food and um, has influenced um, a lot of the cooking that happens in Goa and also a lot of the cooking that happens in West Bengal. Um, Or for that matter, like we have, I mean, of course, everyone's eaten dosa, I think, by now. Um, But a lot of the times when people make dosas at home, it's not always served with potatoes and, and, uh, um, you know, it's not always breakfast. So I'm doing those soft set dosas with, um, which are like more softer, not the crunchy dosas Mm -hmm. that are folded over with a black pepper, cochin black pepper chicken curry and some coconut chutney. So we're trying to stay very homey in our feel. Um, the the dishes are kind of made exactly how they should be made. So like if it's a black pepper chicken and it calls for these following ingredients, then we follow those. It's not like I have five generic sauces on my line and I just add a little bit of this or a little bit of that and they all kind of, everything kind of say, tastes the same at the end of it. Mm-hmm. And like that's not the kind of food that we're cooking. So it just keeps it um, very, very real and very, very authentic. Um, and then we're also, I mean, at the same time, we're of course like doing some experimental stuff at the restaurant where, um, for example, we're doing, um, eggplant bartha, which is the eggplant dish, which is smoked eggplants and it's cooked with spices. Um, generally it's just served with plain rotis in mm-hmm. my house. Um, but I here make the rotis, cut them into chips and serve them as a dip. So it's oh, fun. Nice. There's like some, like some, like some fun things. Uh, or we have a mushroom risotto. Like my daughter is, of course, born here. And um, she really hates me because I make... She doesn't hate me. She she really is frustrated because I make Indi- Italian food, Indian style. Ooh. So this is an homage to my daughter's frustration. <laughs> So she was. She was say, "You made Italian. Why do you have to put green chilies in everything?" <laughs> hey, spicy risotto sounds good. <laughs> it's very good. We call it crack food. <laughs> and yeah, so this restaurant is a family uh, affair. I mean, you and your husband are yes. at the helm of it. Um, what is that like working side by side? Oh, we worked together eighteen something years at this point. Okay. Um, Did you meet in the... We met at NYU together. Oh, we, okay, okay. Yeah, he came in for a cooking class and we met and he was opening Tamarind and then we ended up working together. Gotcha. Um, and had an arranged marriage. Go figure. <laughs> Long story. Some oh. other time. <laughs> oh, yeah. Oh, I wish we had time. <laughs> um, but is this the first restaurant you've, like the two of you have kind of really... Collaborated? Um, yeah. Well, I mean, I think like, 
we've been doing a lot of collaborative work since Devi. So like I have, I've been spearheading events section part of it for him for many years. Um, I mean, I'm known for as a pastry chef, but really uh, I've just kind of done mainstream cooking all my life. It's just, I guess people like that logo of pastry chef. I'm, I'm a little frustrated by it, but no pun to doing pastries. I enjoy mm-hmm. doing pastries. It is something that I've done for so many years, but I've also done a lot of savory cooking since I did it at Davy. Then at Tulsi, I did a lot of the, the menus with him and collaboration with him. Um, you know, I've done a lot of back end work with him at this point. And yeah, like that is, I mean, that's totally a thing, right? For women to kind of get pigeonholed into pastry and then like mm-hmm. kind of kept there. And, and so it's, it's, yeah, it's no wonder there's some like feelings around that. <laughs> Do you want to talk about this? Yeah, sure. I'm, I mean, it's, it's not a frustration against him. I do feel that the industry overall basis, you know, uh, you know, first of all, most people don't know because it's not being projected that way. Um, and then I've also done a very bad job of not really going out there and talking about myself, which is not something that I'm very good at. Um, oh, you're doing a great job. Thank you so much. <laughs> I got my flag on. My friends have said, you better host the flag today. <laughs> but yeah, sometimes it feels like um, it's not always easy to talk about those frustrations because not everyone wants to hear that. We definitely want to hear that here. We, we love we love to bitch. <laughs> you're basically trying to put me in a lot of trouble and I'm happily taking it on. <laughs> Uh, I think like the industry overall basis doesn't like to sometimes talk about the amount of work that is done by women, period. Um, It's got nothing to do with uh, just my circumstance. That's a running dialogue overall basis. Um, I mean, if you really think about it, how many Indian women chefs are there in this country? There's only two. There's me and there's Mani Chahan. That's it. There's no other... Indian woman chef Um, and I feel like as other women chef organizations they should be like talking when you you start talking about immigrant women that have moved from one country to another and have done the amount of body of work many or I have done I don't think there's that much representation on a Mm -hmm. mainstream level that's just the truth of it yeah. And I mean, in the past <coughs> few years, have you been more emboldened to talk about these things? Like as like, you know, activism has kind of taken a role in our lives as conversations around inequality in the culinary world. And whether it's, you know, sexism or racism or, you know, xenophobia or all of those three combined, like, has have you felt more comfortable discussing those things? I think I definitely do. I'm also in my 40s now. Hello, so you don't give any fucks. Yeah, I don't <laughs> give any fucks anymore. Uh, you know, and like, uh, actually, I would cor- stand corrected. I do have a woman chef who's like, our, uh, who's in uh, as a sous chef in our restaurant mm-hmm. in Sarso. There's other women chefs, but they're not like on, like they're not being talked about. It's mm-hmm. like the whole conversation piece. Um, uh, I think like, I, I don't, I'm not scared anymore. Uh, I also don't feel that, I've I've come to a place where I'm like, what do I have to lose? You know, I mean, there was this one, I guess, like a dream idea that I had when I came to this country in terms of the kind of support that you find. Um, 
which is there has been support that may not like kind of put it down completely um but i do feel that it's been tough it's been tough it's been tough to survive it's been tough to survive as in uh, even in terms of like indian food like representing indian food and doing an indian restaurant even in terms of operating an indian restaurant even in terms of thinking about how well an indian restaurant does in comparison to an american restaurant mm-hmm. even in terms of like how how many people really talk about uh indian food in an authentic sense right like not you know in a generic sort of a sense in a, in the sense that how many um uh media people that come in to an indian restaurant or an asian restaurant or a chinese restaurant or a japanese restaurant and review the restaurant do they know that much about the food that they're writing about that's always my number one question um and you know i do feel like there's a need for some sort of movement especially i mean i can only talk about the asian community right like within the asian community asian chefs like across the board doesn't matter what country they're coming from to kind of come together and do some something about it. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm flag hosting. <laughs> <laughs> Leah, yeah, don't give me that look. <laughs> do do something about it. I don't know. Um but yeah, I mean and and to to receive like uh kind of a an assessment on the merit without cuz like there is I think it's it's very naive to think that yeah a critic or someone coming in is coming in with no baggage or no preconceived ideas mm-hmm. about a cuisine and and certainly more like of a pejorative slant when it's not western for a lot of especially when these i mean up until now most critics have been straight white men and yes. old ones and yes. so Thank you. like yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what was someone said today to me, uh, what is it, pale, male, and stale. <laughs> You're getting me in trouble. <laughs> Shout out to Kim from Food Book Fair. Um, so, yeah, like that brings, like that person is going to totally experience the food differently and I'd be able to articulate it so much differently and to, of course, a lesser degree than someone who maybe has some background and and a much more appreciate like a better appreciation for that food yeah and i think like when you're when you're like going into kind of dine um in an immigrant space or like an, in a space that's not like totally like american or italian or par or or french or the, it's a good idea to take people that are from that country maybe to I don't know if they're already doing it maybe they're already doing it and I'm going to get some hate emails tomorrow morning <laughs> but you know I do feel because when I read those reviews when I see how the restaurants that are on that level being uh written about I just like raise my eyebrow I'm like what what you know like so anyways let's move on from that topic you're going to get me into enough trouble <laughs> Um well in the last yeah in the last like few minutes I guess I I'm curious about what um like anything that you're working on like any specific projects I know you don't just um and not like just as in like it's simplified but you're not only a chef you're an instructor you do events like you are you know like are you are you up to anything that we should know about that you want to talk about So I'm doing two major things right now. One is that of course I am um increasingly fo- focusing on our catering division uh and really spearheading that aspect of it. 
but more importantly, I've been, um, for the last few years, I've really been inclined about including um, some immigrant um, South Asian women to be part of my different projects. And I make that my, like, it's really important for me. And um, I did quite a bit of work with this organization called Sapna where we were delivering food uh, to um, some adults, uh, South Asian adults, um, uh, another nonprofit. We were delivering lunches to them, and I was working with these women in the kitchen to teach them how to cook for these people. Uh, and then, um, but now I'm about to launch, I mean, of course, um, a packaged product, not packaged, but sweets and gift packaging sort of a products company, uh, which is going to be an early part of next year where um, these women are going to be my full-time employees, and that's a project that is going to hopefully be something that I work on for the next 10 years. Wow, that's uh, yeah, exciting. That's, uh, that's, uh, that's where I'm kind of heading, you know, like really making a woman-based um, company uh, and sort of do some work on the grassroots levels with that. And that's like a beautiful full circle of like Correct, where you started right? to like, yeah. <laughs> I really miss class. working with that many women. Yeah, I think like that's where great. it is. Yeah, that's why, you know. Not that men are not great, but like I think women well, are greater. <laughs> <laughs> we're in a time of not great men, so yes. let's bring, bring, the, bring the women up. <laughs> And where can we and our listeners like find you on social media, either your personal social media, your restaurant, both? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, my social media is Sani Serbi, I think, uh, and Instagram. And then I'm also on Facebook, Serbi Sani. I mean, uh, I'm also Saren, my C's, the, the restaurant. You should be able to find me. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we'll pretty link easy. all those. Yes, <laughs> it's pretty easy. Not that complicated. <laughs> Well, Serbi, thank you so much thank for being you. on the show. It's been wonderful, like, hearing more about you, getting to meet you, um, and, yeah, learning more about the great work that you do and the delicious things that you're preparing. It's like, oh, You should come hungry. and eat soon. I know, I know, <laughs> I will. Um, and thank you to our listeners for listening to another episode of Food Without Borders. Um, you can find this episode... Um, for download later, if you didn't catch it live, um, on heritageradionetwork.org, on iTunes, Spotify, and Stitcher, basically anywhere you can find a podcast, we are there. Um, it's a great opportunity to also um, go visit some older episodes that maybe you know, you've missed. Um, we'll be back next week at 6 p.m. Um, with a new episode. Until then, peace and love. Thank you, Dia. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. For our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events, subscribe to our newsletter. Enter your email at the bottom of our website, heritageradionetwork.org. Connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at heritage underscore radio. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening.